Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This week, I talk with Andy Baldacci about how he built and cultivated a mindset for SaaS growth. And we're going to talk through his journey going from professional gambler for over a decade, including poker and fantasy sports, and how he transitioned himself into someone who really understands SaaS growth. As you know, in this show, we cater to ambitious startup founders who are building ambitious startups who want to build real products and sell them to real customers for real money. And Andy Baldacci got on my radar several years ago when I believe he was running growth at Hubstaff. It was super early days, and he was doing a lot of work for them. If you haven't heard of Hubstaff, they're now doing about $550,000 in monthly recurring revenue, and I believe that they're fully bootstrapped, um, although don't quote me on that. But Andy went from being a, a gambler to starting a blog about growth tactics. He read a bunch and got a framework in his mind. He started blogging about how it would grow X company. And he started going to microconfs and started interfacing with people. And I've, I've liked his approach and his framework about growing SaaS. He went from growth at Hubstaff to being a growth marketer at Groove, which many of you have heard of. And then he eventually left because he bought an app called Sabersim. And we, we cover all this in the episode, but that gives you context for why I've invited him on the show because it's not a traditional founder journey, but it it is interesting to hear someone who has a very structured mindset, uh, but also goes with a lot of a lot of his gut feel, as as he says. And and he's a, a growth marketer that I respect. He's also a podcast host I respect. If you haven't listened to the Effective Founder podcast, Andy interviews interesting founders, interesting marketers, um, people that would really resonate with you if you like this show and he does a, a good job. You know, I'm not a huge fan of most interview podcasts and that's why I've tried to do them so different here, you know, to, to cut in in the middle of the story, to only cover the most important bits and not waste your time with a bunch of the kind of side details. Andy does the same thing on his podcast. Before we dive in, I have some news to share. If you head to microconfconnect.com, we're in the process of launching our perpetual year-round Slack channel called Microconf Connect. And right now we're doing a slow invitation process. This is going to be a heavily moderated Slack group filled with founders and aspiring founders like yourself. A lot of folks that you will meet or have met at MicroConf, folks that are are in the community who are building these ambitious yet sane startups. People, you know, some are highly focused on on profit. Others are highly focused uh, on growth. But it's it's the voices you've heard on this podcast for the past. 482 or so episodes, as well as, you know, I've interacted with on Twitter or, or met at MicroConf. So we want this to be a community that that lasts year round because what we often hear at MicroConf, what we t- traditionally do is we open a Slack channel and then we hold the event and then we shut down the Slack channel, you know, a month later because managing a Slack channel is a lot of work, frankly. And we want it to be pretty heavily moderated and, and just a good space for founders to discuss things. And so it is a free service. We're not charging for it, um, but we do plan to to moderate it and keep it as a, as a healthy community. And we expect this to essentially become the online hub for companies like yourself, for founders and aspiring founders who believe in this idea that we can start a company without bazillion dollars in venture funding, without the need or desire to become a unicorn, the go big or go home, you know, that we, we can take this alternate path that is becoming not so alternative anymore, to be honest. 10 years ago, it was it was unheard of for people to be talking about profitability and having repeatable businesses that sell their product for, for real money to real customers. And that now is is wildly viable and it's it's only growing in popularity. And so 
we would love to have you be part of the community. Head to microconfconnect.com if you're interested in, uh, you know, in checking it out. And obviously we'll be rolling this out you know, over the next several weeks and, and letting folks in who apply at microconfconnect.com as well as, as doing the moderation inside. Uh, we're going to be doing some AMAs as well to kind of kick off conversation. And so I hope to see you on the inside. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Andy Baldacci. Andy Baldacci, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Rob. It's it's exciting to be on this as someone who's kind of got into this whole world through what you've done. It's really cool to to kind of be chatting and talking about things with you. I appreciate that. And I've been on, uh, you know, I mentioned your podcast in the intro, but I've been on it several times. So it's cool to kind of reciprocate and have you on this show to talk through some uh, some gross stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So I want to start with, obviously, that there's a really interesting part of your bio where you're a professional, you say professional gambler. I've heard it as professional poker player for about a decade. Yeah, so it, it makes it easier to kind of break the ice at conferences when I have that on, on my resume. But professional gambler for about a decade, probably seven, eight years of that was online poker specifically, with the tail end of it, a bit of daily fantasy sports. But yeah, kind of out of high school, that was when I first started playing poker and quit my job at Best Buy to to go full-time on the whole poker thing and then supported myself through college with that and then for probably, I guess, like six years or so afterwards. And so it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Is it, I mean, I know how to play poker, but I've never really gambled, but my brother has done some of that and and he's really good at math, right? He knows the numbers, he knows the the percentages of this happening on the flop and all that stuff. Is that is that the kind of person you describe yourself at? Like as do you do you play poker intuitively or do you play it with mathematics in mind? Yeah, I'm not like a, a feel player at all. I mean, at this point, after having playing so much, you definitely have intuitions that you can trust, but I, I want to know the answers. I hate guessing. But I'm not like the best at math. I probably stopped at like pre-calculus. And after that, like the concepts are just too far over my head. But I think what I'm good at is understanding the concepts and kind of getting how things work and then either finding people, finding resources, whoever else to kind of fill in those gaps. So a lot of what I did in poker was just kind of messing around with making my own like Excel spreadsheets to analyze different situations. When I kind of hit a ceiling there, I contracted a PhD game theorist to kind of help me make different models and things like that. So I've always understood the value of math, but never been able to kind of fully apply it myself. But that's kind of where I come from, at least. So yeah, I find it interesting. After you tailed off from being a a poker player, you essentially dove headlong into growth, you know, into startup growth. And and as folks heard in the intro, you worked, uh, did growth at Hubstaff in the early days and and worked as a growth marketer at Groove. And now you're working on your your own project. But how did you get from there to there? You know, you, you stopped playing poker and then one day you have essentially, you know enough to kind of be writing these how-to guides that you told me about, you know, how I would grow X that became your marketing and your lead gen for like, you know, consulting and then to become an employee. But how did you learn that skill? Yeah, so there's definitely overlap in those kind of careers where one of the big motivations for leaving poker is the regulatory climate in the U.S. just made it harder and harder to play online. The games got worse. But also it's just like I had kind of just turned into like a human robot where the strategy was very well defined for me. I had been doing it for years and it was just kind of like clicking buttons 50 hours a week. And so like for the last like 
several years of it, I would just read while I was playing. I would listen to podcasts. I would literally read books on business, on startups, on whatever it would be. I would go to different message boards and just kind of read everything there. Because like when you're truly just like exploring on the internet for like interesting things for 40 plus hours a week, you you kind of learn a lot and can go down some rabbit holes. And kind of early on, I realized that I have a, a real passion for startups and in, in specifically, and really in, in the marketing side, just how things grow. And just read everything that was on Hacker News, everything that was on Growth Hackers, just everything I could get my hands on. And just kind of through doing that for like a few years could kind of synthesize like this framework in my head, at least of, okay, I kind of get how all these things fit together, and could start to see where I thought companies could improve where I felt like they were going wrong. And just kind of was able to sort of self-validate a lot of what I had learned. And it got to the point where after I started talking to people in the space, kind of got more faith in myself that, okay, I, I do have some mindset for this and have developed some skills here, even though I haven't actually applied them. And so a lot of it was really just self-study for years and just kind of putting all that together in my head. And then finally, when I was ready to call it quits on on poker, just put myself out there and started writing those guides that you mentioned. One of the first was actually, I think, uh, how to grow drip. And I, I broke down the email onboarding sequence you guys had and reached out to you years ago. And that was my, my first contact with you then. But yeah, just kind of kept putting out those guides, getting feedback on it and refining how I thought. And then over time, it led to a consulting arrangement, it led to a job and just kind of built from there. That's fascinating. So you, I don't remember that article actually, which is which is funny. I remembered you and I connecting when you were with Hubstaff, but it sounds like that may have happened. Your How to Grow Drip would have been before that. But even to write that that article about it, then to break down onboarding emails, you must have developed. It was a theoretical framework in your head or, or standards because you hadn't really implemented. You hadn't written your own onboarding sequences. You had just read so many that you had the patterns of what an optimal one probably looks like. Is that accurate? Yeah, because I think what it was is I, this is how I stumbled on on Brennan Dunn and W Freelancing is I, was, I wanted to start just getting my foot in the door however I could. And I figured consulting for early stage companies was a good way to to do that. And so I signed up for his stuff and kind of read a lot about that side of things, came across Kai Davis and just kind of that whole crowd. And a lot of what they talked about was positioning. And I don't even remember how I found this positioning, but like email onboarding and sequences were just like weirdly interesting to me. And so I just would sign up for like, seriously, just any trial I could find and just kind of dissect those email sequences. I would read a bunch of books on copywriting and print them out and just do like email onboarding teardowns just kind of for fun. And after I felt like I could figure out some patterns and just had a better structure in my mind of like what they should try to do, that was when I kind of took that angle, at least with Drip and I think a couple others as well. Interesting. And so... It was diving with both feet into a space where you had no network. And at a certain point prior to that, you had no experience, but you just, you went online to the, to the internet. And, and as you said, you just dove in and learned the stuff. And instead of going and applying for jobs and saying, I've read some things, here, here's my knowledge. I'm a poker player. You did things in public. You know, I've been saying that using his phrase, you doing things in public creates opportunity. You just, you put out blog posts. Is that right? And, and you were just trying to meet as many people as possible in the space? Yeah, because I mean, like, it 
truthfully took like a couple of years before I had the confidence like, okay, like I actually, I know I'm not an expert, but I, I think I have knowledge that would be valuable to a lot of companies. It took me a while to just like really accept that and, and put myself out there. But I, I just knew early on, like, I definitely have a lot of imposter syndrome. And it was just like, nothing on paper would make anyone believe that I know these things. And so I just have to prove that I know these things by just kind of doing them in a way that just demonstrates it. And it was, for me, it was kind of killed two birds with one stone where what I would do is I would just kind of have a list of of people I wanted to work with. And I'd email them and say, hey, I'm working this article about growth strategies for Drip. Once I put this together, should I send that over your way to check it out before I put it up? And if they didn't reply, I wouldn't write the article. And if they did, then I'd be like, all right, like I got to get to work and, and put this together. And then I would send it over. And I think I did probably like five or six of those. And a couple didn't necessarily lead to any direct work, but got some good feedback on them. And I put them up on the site. And then a couple of them, it turned out they're like, yeah, this is really good. Can you just like do this for us? And there was no interview or anything like that. They just kind of judged the ideas and strategy on, on face value. And that was really the, the idea there is best case, this leads to a job or some consulting work. Worst case, I have some content for the blog. Yeah, it's a really clever way to go about it. It doesn't waste time because like you said, you don't write it if they don't respond. Anytime someone emails me with a proposal like you're saying, I I always say yes. Yes, write it. I'd love to see it. Anytime, and even the roundups, remember the, there aren't, there aren't so many anymore, but I think you did a few of these, but I remember folks do, we're going to do the growth hacker you know, roundup or the SEO roundup, the email marketing best practices. And that's also an, a reason slash excuse to contact 15 or 20 influencers, right? And, and to have some type of relationship there. And I've had a few people who've done that who I later will ask, hey, are you a contractor? Because I could really use your help for this marketing stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it takes a little bit of hustle, but it's definitely a different way. Or, you know, it's different than you sending a bazillion cold emails, which I get a lot of those, and that's not helpful. Of, hey, I'm a growth marketer. It's like you're, you're, you have such a better agenda. I think this is something that people should take away here. You know, especially if you're a consultant or an agency, it's like provide value first, and even busy people will respond and, and kind of give you some of their time if you're, if you're working it that way. Right, because I mean, there was no loss for you there is, I mean, you had already read the email. And so you could decide later not to read the article I sent over, but like just saying, sure, send it over. Didn't take any of your time because I wasn't asking for anything for you really. It's just permission to, to write the article. And so it was kind of an easy ask. And then there was clear value there for, for you. And that was just kind of my approach. And I studied, this actually makes me think I studied cold email a ton I know Kai wrote a lot about that and just other people. And it was just kind of at the beginning of when that became more of a popular tactic. And so I would just kind of really just dug deep into that. And that was one of the things I always found worked is just make the ask as as small as possible and just provide as much value as you can up front. And that, I mean, that kind of brings us to, you've run growth now at several companies, most of which I've already mentioned in the intro. And now, you know, you're running growth at your your own org, SaberSim, that you acquired, what, about a year and a half ago? Yes, yeah, last December the deal closed. So December 2018 it closed and then I transitioned out of my role at Groove uh into running Saberson full-time in February of 2019. So it's I it's been a little over a year, yeah. And so I want to I mean I want to dig into how you think about growth and how you think about marketing in a 
perhaps a more tactical way than, you know, the last several months of startups for the rest of us have been. A lot of them have been stories and there are some frameworks and such that I bring up, but I've observed you going from essentially what I would consider a, a pretty junior, at least in terms of name recognition, just a junior marketer to someone who I just kept hearing about. And, and kept hearing about working at these companies. I mean, Hubstaff grew very quickly. I know that all of that was not, you know, not necessarily due to you, but you were, you were on the team and you were there very early getting stuff done and, and grew similarly, right? We've seen these, these fast trajectories. And so you've, you've been a part and, you know, contributing and, and adding a lot to that. So what I want to dig into is, you know, I've often seen a, like the Sean Ellis model or the Noah Kagan model. It's very, it's very regimented. It's very left-brained. It's, we're going to do growth sprints. We have a big spreadsheet of all these ideas and what they could potentially do. And then we compare them and then we do a six week this and we, you know, I mean, it's, it is left brain. That's not the kind of marketer I am, to be honest. Uh, so it had, that part resonates with my, my engineering side, but something about marketing has always been a bit more fluid for me. And I think it's probably, it's okay, but it's also maybe to my detriment that I haven't embraced more of that stuff. But I'm curious how you think about it. Like what's the framework in your mind and how do you approach it? It's it's funny because you had mentioned that this was a topic you wanted to dig into, and it was the first time I'd kind of gotten meta and just like thought about how I think about growth. And I, I realized that like in my head, there's definitely like a framework there, but I've never actually like written it out. I've never actually said like, okay, like these are the steps I go through. This is how I do it. And I'm naturally like a very process oriented person. And And you'd mentioned this before where it's like, in areas where you're less comfortable or less, you feel like you have less competency, process and frameworks are a good way to fall back because you can kind of know that you're not going to screw things up too much. And if you can just kind of keep the system running, it'll be okay. But as you get more competent in, in something and confident, that matters less. And for the most part, like I've never had a real growth team around me. There's always been contractors or maybe a couple other employees that I've worked with. It's never been we had this like real team. For the most part, I've just been kind of driving things forward myself. But so as I was thinking about it, like I definitely have strong opinions on things. And just learning through the internet, a lot of what you'll see will be kind of the big tech strategies. And this is what works if you raise tons of money and you're trying to grow hyper quickly or what like works for already very established companies. And you'll read that in books. And so it was when I kind of first got involved in microconf and started seeing how things were on the, the more bootstrap level, just kind of saw what worked and what didn't. And I think the biggest thing that has stood out to me is that everyone talks about funnels. Everyone talks about building your funnel, especially in relation to like running ads and snap. But I think what people don't realize is that every company, like every business, if you're selling something, there is a funnel, even if you haven't defined it, built it, whatever. Like there are stages that a customer goes through to become a customer. And then even after that point, there are more things that they do. And so I think it's just getting that mindset and saying like, okay, what are the steps that someone goes through? And what am I doing at each of those steps, if anything? And like the first thing I always try to do is just figure out what pieces are missing. At Groove, one of the big things that we realized was like, okay, we, we've got the top of funnel traffic. We have a very high traffic blog. There's more we could do on SEO to be a little bit more deliberate there. But like, that's not a hair on fire problem. But it's that piece of what happens once the traffic's there, how do we actually get them into the product? Like there wasn't a deliberate process there. It almost happened through osmosis. Like people show up on the blog and some of them are going to get curious and research the product. And so that was kind of the, the, the first thing I, I thought about or just think about is what pieces are we not being deliberate about 
in just getting things in place. And then it's just really trying not to overcomplicate it. Like there are so many businesses that do tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, if not billions on just like a couple channels that they have just figured out very, very well. And if you read any growth marketing, any just marketing, any whatever on the, the internet, there's just like thousands of tactics people talk about. And it's like, especially in our world where a 1 million, 2, 3, maybe 5 million ARR company is like life-changing and, and truly what we're working towards, you don't need to do all these different things. It's like find one thing and get really good at that and just keep doing that. And then that kind of just ties into the last piece is just don't get distracted by all those other things. Like just keep executing on a small number of things. And, and that is is kind of the brunt of it is just keep it simple, figure out what customers are actually doing and be more deliberate about how you help them along the way. Right. It sounds like you're, you would basically, if you were hired to consult for a SaaS app today, first thing you would do is take an inventory of where's our bottleneck? Is our, our unique visitor count per month is a thousand? That's a problem, right? Versus we have a hundred thousand uniques and our unique to trial rate is, is a tenth of a percent where we think it should be 1% or 2%. Credit, that'd be credit card up front, right? Is, is that how you think about it? You just know you kind of have seen enough funnels that you know at what point you should focus on first. Is that, is that what what's missing means? Yeah, I mean, I think I almost think of it more literally of like people in marketing need to be more deliberate about what they're doing at each stage of, of the funnel of like, you can't rely on osmosis to fuel growth forever. If you figure out one piece of the funnel really well and the others aren't there, like you can get to a pretty good number in terms of revenue, whatever you're trying to quantify, but you're going to plateau until you get deliberate about each piece. And so the first thing I do is just like, okay, once people are on the blog, like do we do something to try to get them to become a customer, to join our email list? Like do we just do something? And then once we get that, maybe it's just getting them on our email list. Once they're there, are we doing something to try to move them into being a paid customer? And then once they're there, is there something we're doing to try to get them to upgrade their plan, to subscribe to the annual plan, to whatever, um, even just stick around longer and reduce churn? It's like the first thing is just truly seeing like, are we actually deliberately trying to do something to move people to the next step? And in the vast majority of companies, especially at the bootstrap scale, there are like pieces that they're, they're not doing anything. And it's like, that's the first piece I look at is, is that is just making sure we're doing something to move people to the next, uh, next stage. And I guess to be a little clear on that, like at, at Sabersim, when people signed up for the trial, there was no, there was no email sequence. There wasn't any onboarding in the app. Like there was nothing we were actively doing to try to encourage them to buy. And so first thing I did is just put in what I would consider like a, a basic email sequence, it, it, but it's like a pretty good one, uh, just because that's kind of my background. But it's just getting in like best practices into each of those pieces. And then I feel like you can start looking at the numbers and start kind of quantifying things a little bit clearly and using that to drive priorities. But usually there's just, I guess, to me, more obvious things to to address before you even get that deep. So in your mind, you know, when you say what's missing, that implies that you have a mental model of kind of what a very, very basic funnel should look like. Can you walk us through that? Like from all the way on the left-hand side, what does it start with? Is it, is it just traffic generation? 
Yeah, I mean, that that's probably a good thing for for me to cover. And this is sort of the the downside of, of not having like really articulated a lot of this before. But I keep it pretty simple. And it's like top of funnel, you have awareness. You have I just think of it as in the web business, just traffic, people landing on your site, or just like coming across you in some way. From there, it's okay. How do we deepen the relationship? Like, what is I guess ultimately I think of a funnel as how do we move people to the next step of the relationship and into becoming and staying a customer. So once they're aware of us, what happens next, we want to have some kind of ongoing relationship with them. And usually that's through kind of building an email address so you can continue marketing to them. Then once you kind of have them in your real audience, rather than like just a more transient kind of web traffic, how do we get them to, in SaaS, try the product typically? Once they try the product, how do we get them to buy the product once they buy the product, how do we get them to stay and how do we get them to expand and, and increase what, they, what they're paying us over time? Like those are kind of the stages I see. And it's just what is the next step that they have to take to kind of move along their, the buyer's journey? So for someone who's listening then, I know you've had a lot of experience with, with email, specifically email capture and just engaging folks via email. So folks have uh, at least, you know, decent amount of traffic, but they're not getting to that next step, which as you were saying is getting them on the list. What are the ways that you start with and what are things you recommend for, you know, in getting people on the list and engaging them with email? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is deciding up front who is your actual customer and like, what do they care about? Because you can put up content upgrades that relate directly to the article that people are reading and they convert. I mean, a content upgrade is just basically like a PDF that has maybe a summary of the article or it expands on it or, or whatever it is. And that's like an easy tactic to get people on your list. And if you have nothing, that's probably the best place to start is just find something that you can add to the article that makes the article easier to digest, whatever it may be. What is something relevant I can offer people and give them in exchange for their email address. The first thing though that I like to do is just make sure that whatever we're thinking about, it actually gets the right people onto the list. Because this is where like just focusing on the numbers can mislead you, whereas you're not just trying to get the highest percent of people onto your list. You're trying to make sure that those people are the right people. So what I'll often do is just say, okay, like what problem are my customers trying to solve? Especially like if it's on a blog article or whatever it is that's actually generating the traffic, I say, why are people going to this and what do they want out of it? And find a way to solve that. I know it sounds like very basic, but it's just trying not to complicate things. And you can solve that in a webinar where you say, okay, I, I guess for Groove, it could just be, okay, someone came to our site for an article on interview questions to ask a customer service representative. So then you can say, okay, they're clearly trying to grow the customer service team. You could then pitch maybe a webinar, an ebook, something on how to scale your, your customer service team, how to avoid these three biggest hiring mistakes. Like just finding something that kind of is related to what they're doing, but ultimately goes a little bit deeper than that and gets to what they're trying to solve. And it can be presented in many different ways. And it's just kind of trying to simplify it and not overthink it, but it's just getting something up there that, that helps them get to that, that root of that problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I'm curious if you have 
I mean, you kind of mentioned how you would think about it with Groove. Do you have an example of something you did, whether with any of your clients or any of your, you know, when you were an employee of a, a specific thing that really worked well for doing this? Yeah. So this is actually why I'm, I've been very excited about what Brennan and Shai are working on at, at Write Messages because the article, the, the thing that people are landing on when they come to your site matters. But like that person has issues, they have problems, they have all these other things outside of just that one article. So if all you have to go on is they found this article, they found this page, they found whatever, you want to stay relevant to that. But we can learn more about these people by asking them questions. So like on, on SaberSim, this is like very basic right now, but like people come to our site to learn how to get better at daily fantasy sports. And we simply ask them like, what sports do you play? How often do you play? Like, what types of contests do you play? This is kind of like inside baseball here, but it's like, how many lineups do you enter when you do play? And then like, based on all of that, we have a, a pretty deep content library of like videos that we've made on strategy, on answering different questions. And like, we can kind of then just show when you play daily fantasy sports, you build one lineup for baseball. We can then show a guide that either says, here is the best way to build your single lineup for daily fantasy sports, or we could show here is the ultimate guide to beating daily fantasy baseball in 2020. We can just kind of make an offer that's like very personalized to what that, that person is actually trying to do. So that's like a hands-on thing that we are actually doing now. But in most businesses, it's like getting to know your customers and, and figuring out these are the pain points that they face then asking them, what pain points are you facing? And then when they tell you, it's like, okay, then help them solve that. It's just like, I just try to keep it really simple by, by thinking about it in that way. And it seems like that simple three-step thing will work at every stage. Yeah, exactly. It works to get someone onto your email list. And then while they're on your email list, it works. And then once they're in a trial you need to know their three pain points kind of in, within your app. And then how does your onboarding address that? And then once they're a customer, what do you know? I mean, it's the same questions. That's your framework, right? Yeah. And, and the big thing to like make it, to make it as effective as it can be, the big thing is kind of planting the seed early for the next stage. So it's saying, okay, I'll, I'll go back to the example with Groove, just so I feel like it's more relatable to people, but it's like, okay, people come to a help desk typically when they are doing support out of their inbox and they have a few support agents in there and it's just a mess because you don't know who's replying to what you the emails can fall through the cracks it's just you can't keep track of it so it's kind of like you're just running around with your hair on fire so people come in though they don't know that they necessarily need a help desk so you're kind of reaching them with where they're at and their problem right now is my inbox is nuts and we can't keep running this way. So you, you come in with something that's more like, okay, how do you get your support inbox under control? Then in the, that like content, whatever it is that you're, you're giving them at that stage, you kind of plant the seed for, for the next step. And that's, you probably need a tool. Like here are some tips that will work in your inbox. But like if these X criteria are true, like if you have multiple support agents, if you have whatever it may be, then it's time to look into some other solutions. And here's some ideas of what that can be. And then from there, it's checking back in with them via email and kind of nudging them to that next step with saying like, hey, I know you said your inbox is crazy, but have you looked into any of these options? Like here's how they can help. And that's obviously like not good copy, but like that's the general idea is just like meeting them with where they're at and getting them ready to take that next step and then kind of giving them the push to actually take that that next step. Yep. And I'm curious, like, 
to dig even deeper into examples like SaberSim for, you know, again, I mentioned it in the intro, but it is a fantasy sports betting site. Is that a good summary of it? Yeah. So it's like, there's no actual gambling done on our site, but what we do is we kind of have built our own models to come up with accurate projections for the games, for the players in those games. And then on top of that, we've built basically a, a SaaS app that our users can can play around with and they can kind of manipulate our data easily and, and use that to just do better at daily fantasy sports. So at building their lineups, at doing their research, at all those, those kind of things. And so often when people find us, and this is, I think, what frankly any business is going to find is there's pretty much two types of customers. You have one who already knows they have the problem. They have some solution in place, but they're not happy with it and they're looking at alternatives. And then you have the customers who are trying to like get better at something, but they don't know all the options. They're, they're Right now, they're basically like doing it by hand, whatever that might mean. Maybe they're using spreadsheets. Maybe they're using just Gmail, whatever it is. They don't really have a solution for it yet. And the way you reach those two is very different. And so like for SaberSim, there are competitors to us. And we market to those very differently than the, than the more casual player coming in who isn't using any tool to play Daily Fantasy. They're just kind of going into their app on their phone and just like building a lineup kind of on intuition and, and, and gut. And so what we do is just through the survey especially is, is just try to suss out which camp they fall in. And if they're in the first one and they're just building a lineup on gut and by hand, the like very first thing we were going to do is just kind of show them here are the biggest mistakes to make sure you're avoiding when building your lineups by hand. And then if they're coming from what's called like a lineup optimizer, which our competitors traditionally are, it's saying here are the, the mistakes to avoid when using a lineup optimizer. And both of those pieces of content on their own have a lot of value because like there frankly are serious mistakes that you're going to likely make with either of those options. And SaberSim kind of solves a lot of those. And so like the next piece would say more directly, like here are the problems. Like here is why you should not be using a lineup optimizer. Here is why you should not be building lineups by hand. And it just gets more direct to like, these are fundamental flaws that the tools or your process or whatever it is has, but there is a better way to do this. So the first is just more informational. You're not really trying to get them to change their behavior because that's really hard to do. But you're trying to just plant the seed that like, hey, there are some big flaws with this. There's some workarounds and here they are. But like, just start thinking about that next step. And then once they're there, then we can kind of hit them more directly and just say like, hey, you probably just shouldn't be doing that anymore. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. This reminds me, of, it comes back to these five stages of marketing awareness where there's people who are completely unaware that they have a pain. It's pain, you know, pain unaware. And then there's pain aware, like, man, I really have a problem. But no idea, haven't even thought that there's a better solution. And then there's solution aware where it's like, there are solutions, services, platforms, whatever that can solve, but they're just not, I don't know, they don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. And maybe they start researching it. And then there's product aware where they're like, oh, I know there's like three or four products that do this, you know, SaberSim and the other competitors, or there's Groove and there's Help Scout and there's whatever other, you know, Intercom and this and that. And then there's most aware, which is like, frankly, once you've been running a company in the space, you're most aware, right? You know exactly all the ins and outs and the intricacies and the features and the this and that. And so you're just basically saying, meet the meet folks where they are. And that, it kind of ties back into the comment you made earlier of that's why you're so excited about what, 
they're doing at Right Message because I just went to sabersim.com. Folks can check it out. And you have the Right Message uh, widget right there that basically says, what's your, your current sport? What type of contest do you usually play? Uh, you know, how many lineups? I mean, you kind of are getting info that then allows you to completely tailor. You're just trying to find out what stage they're in, right? And then tailor your content to that. But these are mini stages within the whole funnel. You know, you could say the funnel has stages of, hey, there's there's unique visitors and then they're within the, then they're on the email list and then they're in a the trial and then now they're a customer. But within each of those, you have to figure out where they are and how they're thinking about it. Yes, exactly. It's just like, just because they're in the trial doesn't mean they really know that they have a problem. It doesn't mean that they're aware of all the options or even that aware of like what you do. And so it's trying to, figure out where they're at, but then also like get some information that lets you go beyond that and like be as specific to their case as possible. But like, that's just me kind of taking it further than like it is truly necessary. Like you don't need to have all of these layers that you go into and and like, you don't need to know their exact business type and how big their company is and this and that's like, you can, there's probably a couple questions you can ask that will like give you the vast majority of the value you get by like personalizing your message because there's just, in most businesses, there's only so many key problems and it's just figuring out the, the fewest questions you can ask, like get to that. And then if you want to take it to the next level, you can like, try to personalize beyond that but it's just like back to that simplicity message it's like just do something and the more personalized you can get the, the better right it's probably an 80 20 law right of like you just do something Z- zero is doing nothing something is 70 80 percent and then optimize 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 which is what you're saying so before right message how are you how are you getting this information about where people where they were mentally was it uh, more like drip, you could click a link in an email and and tag someone with something where you're doing it that way, where the email say, hey, what are you thinking about? Yeah, so at, at Hubstaff, like that's exactly what I did. So Hubstaff, what they do is they they create time tracking tools. Our biggest customers were kind of not even really evenly divided. The biggest customer type was people that ran remote agencies. So they worked with a lot of freelancers who they paid by the hour. Um, you would also see just kind of like, larger companies would use it with their own full-time team but we were really going after the agencies but both of those segments have kind of like sub-segments and then there's a lot of people that find the site that aren't really good fits and so the first email would just be like what best describes your business and it'd be like i'm an agency owner i'm a freelancer i run whatever else it is and then you would just tag them in drip with that and like customize from there and ultimately it's like what i realized is that you're pretty much just like doing what a good salesperson does on like a discovery call. You're just trying to get as much like identifying context from them as you can so that you can then personalize what you're offering them. And then at Groove, it was a similar thing, but we, we migrated to HubSpot. And like, I, I have nightmares still about like setting up that workflow there. It was just such a mess, but same principle applied. And like, frankly, at Saversim, I haven't done much with that. And I think this is what listeners can do is like, if you're at a point where for whatever reason, it's a pain to set up all this infrastructure, like one checkout right message, they do make it simple and it ties into drip very easily or other email tools as well. It's like, it doesn't have to be complicated, but like, if you're not doing that, it's fine. Like just figure out in your emails, like what are the most common pain points and just like talk to one or two of those. It's just kind of, you just make assumptions and like 
I would assume that most people finding us were familiar with the tools in the space once they got into the trial. And so I would just kind of write the emails from that perspective. And then you can include like a PS that says, are you building lines by hand right now? If so, check out this video instead. I think it's going to be more, uh, it's going to be right up your alley rather than the one in, in like the email itself. But it's like, I just kind of take a stance and just go with that. And then you can just go from there. Very cool, sir. Thanks for thanks for dropping the knowledge. I know you have an endless well of growth marketing experience and knowledge you could drop. But in the interest of time, uh, I think we're going to wrap there. If folks want to hear more from you, they should check out the Effective Founder podcast, where you do some really good interviews with, well, with all types of folks, founders and consultants and, and marketers and such. And if they want to see what we were talking about, they can go to sabersim.com, especially if they're interested in fantasy sports. And you're also... Andy Baldacci on Twitter. Yeah, my Twitter's not super active, but uh, reach out to me there. You can find my email address pretty easily at just andybaldacci.com. But yeah, it was great chatting, Rob, and I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was great having you on the show. Thanks again for coming. Thanks. Thanks again to Andy for coming on the show. If you have a question for the show, leave us a voicemail at 888-801-9690 or email questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot. It's used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us by searching for startups. Visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.